Well, this being Labor Day, I thought I would address this issue this morning, the issue of work, from this perspective, the ministry of work. And with the Lord's help, I'm going to do that from the life of a young man named Joseph. If you've never studied the life of Joseph, I would encourage you to do that. We did that a number of years ago on Wednesday nights here. Um, it covers the, really the majority part of the book of Genesis from chapters 37 to chapter 50. It's an amazing story, and I'll just give you a brief recap of that this morning. Um, Joseph's story starts with his jealous brothers. Uh, Joseph is somewhat of a favored son of his father Jacob, and his brothers get jealous of that, and the opportunity presents itself for them to get rid of their brother. Uh, you young people down here don't, don't think that's a good idea, okay? I know some of you think it already. Boom, go on, preacher, tell me about it. They throw him in a pit, and they leave him there to die. And then it dawns on them, you know, we might be able to make some money and get rid of our brother at the same time. And so they take him out of the pit, and they sell him into slavery, much like you young people are, are living now in slavery. And they sell him to slavery. He ends up in Egypt, in the home of a man named Potiphar. And here's what it says about Joseph a number of times in the book of Genesis. It says, the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, everything that Joseph put his hand to do was blessed of God. And so there he is. He's in the, uh, the home of Potiphar. He's serving uh, in, in the home of Potiphar. And everything that Joseph does is blessed by God, which means Potiphar is blessed. And he's, he's liking it. And so there came a time when he put Joseph in charge of everything that he had. And one day he was working in the home of Potiphar and, and uh, he's approached and propositioned by Potiphar's wife. And being the man of God that he was and the man of integrity that he was, he refused her advances. And for the first time in history, we read the truth of the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And she accuses him of rape. And Joseph is thrown in prison as an innocent man. And he languishes there in prison for a while until the Pharaoh summons him to interpret a couple of dreams that he had. And the interpretation, the dreams that Pharaoh had were, were these. He saw some skinny cows eating fat cows. And then he had another dream, and he saw some, some uh, scrawny ears of corn eating some plump ears of corn. And Joseph's interpretation of those dreams was this. Egypt is about to enjoy seven years of plenteous prosperity. But those seven years of prosperity will be followed by seven years of famine. Thus the skinny cows eating the fat cows and the scrawny ears of corn eating the plump ears of corn. 
And so Joseph says to Pharaoh, listen, you need to put somebody in charge to come up with a plan whereby we can survive this famine because it's going to occur and it's going to happen and it's going to be, it's going to be there for seven years. And Pharaoh likes that thought and so he looks at Joseph and he says, you're the man. So he puts Joseph in charge of coming up with a plan for that seven-year period of famine. And Joseph's plan is very simple, really. He said, well, how about we do this? During the seven years of plenty, we store up enough corn to feed everybody during the seven years of famine. And, and Potiphar liked the plan so much, he said, since it's your plan, uh, then I want you to carry it through. And so he does that. And then we, we fast forward uh, a little bit and keep in mind here that while all of this is going on, Joseph's father, Jacob, and his brothers have no clue that he's still alive. They have no idea. Jacob's convinced that because the, his brothers brought back a, a robe that Jacob had given him, they covered it in blood, brought it back and said, hey, your son's dead. So Jacob thinks his, his son is dead. His brothers don't have a clue where he is. They know he's in Egypt. But they don't know anything else. They sure don't know that he has now been promoted to position of prime minister in Egypt. They thought he was, they didn't know. And so over a course of time and in God's providence, beginning in, in Genesis chapter 42, Joseph's brothers are, it's now the seven years of famine and there's, no, there's nothing to eat in Canaan. And so their father sends them to Egypt. He hears that there's corn in Egypt. They go from Canaan to Egypt to get corn to bring home to feed the family. And, and unbeknownst to them... They're standing in front of the brother that they had thrown in the pit. Now, Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them at that point in time. Uh, but after a time of testing and, and being convinced that they had had a change of heart, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And then we read in chapter 46 how that they get Jacob and they bring Jacob um, to see the son that he was convinced was dead. So that's kind of a recap of, of the life of Joseph to this point. And so let's pick it up in chapter 47. And before we get there, let me ask you some questions this morning. Number one, does your work matter to God? Does the Bible have anything to say about job performance? How do you view your work is it something sacred or is it merely secular in nature you know it's crazy to me that there there's a silence it seems from many pulpits today with regard to christians and their work and here's why that's crazy because work consumes the major portion of our time and energy every week. So let, let's begin this morning with what I think are some myths 
regarding work, some unbiblical positions and thoughts about work. And here's the first one. Work is purely secular in nature. Those who contend that work is is merely secular believe that their life is divided into two categories. There's the the God part or the spiritual part of their life, and then there's the secular part of their life, and the two parts have nothing to do with each other. But here's some problems with that way of thinking, that secular view. Number one, it sets you up for disappointment. If you leave God out of the picture, then you're going to have to get your sense of importance and fulfillment and reward from someplace else, like work. And in that case, work becomes the answer uh, to, to these questions. Who am I and why am I important? I am my work and I am important because of what I do. But listen to me this morning, that's a shaky foundation, because what if the time comes when you're not working anymore? Now, all of a sudden, you become a nobody, and you're not important because you're not employed. Another danger of viewing work as something purely secular in nature is that it tends to make an idol of career. Career becomes the number one priority in life. So here's what that means. Your relationship with God takes a back seat. Family takes a back seat. Friends take a back seat. Because everything gets filtered through the question, what impact will this have on my career? And every decision you make is a, not a family decision, not a God decision, but it becomes a career decision. You with me this morning? Something else to consider is that a secular view of work leaves God out of the system, and this is particularly unacceptable for Christians because God calls us to make Him the center of our life. He wants us to have a biblical worldview that that weaves him into every aspect of our lives including listen including work he wants to be invited into our work as a matter of fact he wants to be the lord of our work here's another unbiblical view of work it's a necessary evil It's not like Adam sinned in the garden and then God put him to work as a a means of punishment. No, look at it. Adam had a job before sin entered the world. Before the fall, Adam had a job, and here it was. His job was to dress and to keep the garden. And so here's the truth about work this morning. It's not a necessary evil. The truth about work is that it's God's gift to us. And I say that for a number of reasons. Number one, it's because through our work, we get to serve people. Through our work, we are allowed to exercise the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. Through work, we are able to to meet our own needs needs and the needs of those who are dependent upon us which by the way is God's plan let me show you if any would not work 
Paul said, neither should he eat. And then he said this, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So God gives us the gift of work so we can fulfill our biblical requirement of providing for our family. And then here's a third one real quick. My job should always make me happy. (laughs) If you're looking to your job for happiness, and I'm guessing you're a pretty miserable person most of the time. And here's why. Because our joy comes from the Lord. Work, work offers a revealing display of character. Here's what I mean by that. It's not your behavior on Sunday morning that demonstrates the depth of your Christian faith to the people you work with. I mean, look around real quick. How many people are here that you work with? It's not, listen church, it's not what you do on Sunday morning that proves the depth of your faith to your lost friends. It's what you do Monday through Friday that demonstrates the depth of your faith. Look, your your friends, they're not here. They don't have a clue. So it's what happens at, at work that reveals your level of faith and 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 commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, if I were to go into your place of work next week and ask the person who works alongside you or under you or over you about their Christianity, they're not going to talk about church. They're going to talk about, and they're going to base their response on, on how you are to work with or to work for day after day after day. Your actions and attitudes on the job display your character. And so that means that any negative traits quickly come to the forefront in that environment. I'm talking about things like laziness and dishonesty and anger and greed and gossip and and pettiness and disloyalty and impatience and on and on and on and on and on. We could talk about the negative things that are displayed at work. The real you. But by the same token, your positive traits are displayed as well. Punctuality, trustworthiness, loyalty, honesty, commitment, creativity, teamwork, and on and on and on that list could go. Now listen, I'm going to talk this morning about how you as a worker should represent Jesus Christ at work. But in today's complex competitive world, it is sometimes difficult for a Christian to obey God and still keep his or her job. In the the work environment of, of, of 2019, it's difficult sometimes for a Christian to obey God and still get promoted. But that being the case, you still must obey God just the same and trust Him for what He needs. And I get it. Sometimes unsaved fellow employees are going to take advantage of Christian workers. 
But perhaps this can be an opportunity for you as a Christian to witness and back up that witness with your life. Well, that's not fair. They did this, this, and this, and, and, and I did right. I get it. I get it. But instead of getting angry and bitter because of that, why don't you just have the attitude of Christ and do right? And let others see, you know, others around you, they know what's going on. They know, they know that somebody else got promoted and that they're dishonest and that they're lazy and they're not really what they pretend to be. The people you work with know that. But here you are. They know you deserve that promotion more than that person did, but yet you're just, you're just loving life. You're loving people. You're still working hard. You're still being uh, trustworthy and all of those things that we talked about. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to send a great witness to the, to the lost people that you work with. Amen? Now let's get into Joseph's story and see what we can learn this morning uh, about how to be a good worker and a good leader. We're going to talk about that as well, because Joseph found himself in both of those positions. As a worker, he was working under Pharaoh, but as a leader, Pharaoh had placed him in a position of great responsibility. Look at it, chapter 47, verse 1, Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father, my brethren, and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, said, Their servant were shepherds, both we and, and also our fathers. They said, moreover, verse 4, they said, moreover, unto Pharaoh, for to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, and here's what he said, verse 5, thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee, the land of Egypt is before thee, in the best of the land. Make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Now, if you'll go back, here's, here's the first point. As a worker, Joseph didn't expect any special privilege. If you go back to chapter 46, you're going to find that it was Joseph's plan all along to put his family in Goshen. And being second in charge in Egypt, he certainly uh, could have done that, probably without any repercussion whatsoever. But he didn't want to assume that. And so he cleared it through Pharaoh. And here's what I'm saying this morning. Good employees don't take advantage of any special relationship they may have with their employer. Whether that is a family relationship a church relationship, or just a spiritual relationship where both of them are Christians. Don't take advantage of that relationship. Don't assume that you have special privileges because of those things. And let me take it one step farther. Just because a person works for someone they go to church with, they should not expect any kind of preferential treatment when it comes to things like time off or pay or benefits. Can I get an amen right there? Well, preacher, I work for one of our deacons. Good, I hope you're a good worker. But just because you go to church with him or her doesn't mean that they owe you any privilege. Amen. 
We see none of that in Joseph. Number two, as a worker, Joseph was obedient. In verse 6, we read Pharaoh's instructions to Joseph to put his family in the best of the land, which would have been Goshen. And then if you look down in verse 11, Joseph did just that. Now, the verse says that they went to Ramesses, but you have to understand it like this. Goshen would have been like the state. Put them anywhere in the state because it's all good. And Joseph put them in the city of Ramesses. Now, because we're talking about being an obedient worker, I want to to take a few minutes to share some scripture with you about that. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now listen to me real quick. Contrary to how it may feel at work, we're not under the slave master economy anymore, okay? So we understand the translation of that into 2019 is employee, employer. But that being being true the principles found in the scriptures are still applicable first paul uses the phrase with fear and trembling he's talking here about being respectful and listen i get it that in any work environment there are going to be disagreements it's that's just the way it is okay it just it it happens and, and when it does happen, as a Christian, listen, as a Christian, you ought to be respectful. Next, Paul uses the phrase singleness of heart to mean wholehearted dedication to the task at hand. And so here's the idea of that. What we do, what we're assigned to do, we ought to do well as a Christian. And I'll just say this. If you're a Christian in the workforce today, you ought to be the best worker your company has, bar none. And I've preached this for years as a member of Fellowship Baptist Church. You ought to be the best worker that your employer has. And they ought to come to you. As somebody came to my wife a while back on her little part-time job and said, Man, I, could, I wish I could hire more members of your church because they're the best workers I've ever had. That's the testimony Fellowship Baptist Church needs to have in this community. And so it talks about singleness of heart, doing what you do and do it well. And then he said this, do it that way, whether anyone's watching or not, not with eye service as men pleasers. Come on now, this is real, this is real stuff. There are people who when the boss is away, they just kick back, do the Facebook thing, YouTube, Netflix, talk to their friends, text all day, but when the boss comes in... Man, they're sweeping and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're carrying on. Am I right? As a Christian, Paul said, don't be that way. Whether the boss is there or not, you need to be working. And you need to be working hard. Amen. The truest test of character is what you do when no one's watching. But if you want to get right down to it this morning, someone... Is always watching. Yeah, someone is always watching. 
And that's who we ought to be striving to please anyway. Not the person who signs the check. At the end of the day, we ought to be striving to please the one who's given us the ability to do what we do. Colossians 3, real quick. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. Here it is again. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respecter of persons. So let's break that down real quick, pick out a few quick phrases, and we'll move on. The first phrase is this, all things. Obey, obey in all things. And, and I think it, it, it should be understood this morning to say this, that's all things honest and right. If your boss tells you to be dishonest, you shouldn't be dishonest. If your boss tells you to to hide something, then you shouldn't hide it. Don't, whatever they tell you to do that's right to do, do it. But if they're trying to get you to, to go against what you know to be right and wrong according to the word of God, then the right answer is no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But preacher, you don't understand what's going to happen. No, I do understand what's going to happen. But here's what I understand. One day you're going to stand before God. Then Paul adds to his words to the Colossians, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And then with that he reminds us of this. God is the ultimate rewarder of those who do good. And those who do wrong. Look at Titus chapter 2, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrines of God our Savior in all things. The words, the phrase there, not answering again, listen, it doesn't prohibit questioning certain practices or procedures. It doesn't, it doesn't mean... Um, um, uh, expressing a difference that you may have or maybe presenting a, a different idea or a different approach to things. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is being argumentative. When the reasoning behind a decision is clearly given, what Paul is saying here is that, is that we ought to go with it whether we agree with it or not and not be constantly arguing the point. Okay, you've already voiced your opinion. You don't agree. You don't think it's the best way. Well, that's not your call today. That's the boss's call. And so at the end of the day, you do it his way. Paul said, and do it without arguing. And then I want to point this out, because I think this is very applicable. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Uh, You know what the word purloining means? It means stealing. Synonyms would be pilfer, pocket, thieve. Listen to me this morning. Shop rags and tools and office equipment don't belong to you. i say it again. Tools, shop rags, office equipment, they don't belong to you. So don't take them. That's a biblical truth. Don't be a thief. quiet but it's still true it's true and 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 here's why well preacher why it's not that big a deal it is a big deal and and paul tells us it's a big deal 
because he says in being honest, you are representing Christ well in the workplace. Or as he puts it, you are adorning, adorning the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Even in the little things. Paper clips and pencils and pens and paper and screwdrivers and wrenches and shop rags. In all things. He said, you're being a good example of what a Christian ought to be. Well, Pastor, I got a question for you this morning. And I anticipated it. So what if my boss is a jerk? Is that a reality in 2019? If your boss is here, I wouldn't talk very loud. <laughs> but come on, let's be honest. Some bosses, supervisors, foremans, managers are jerks. They are. Can I say jerk in church? Is that okay? It's in the Greek there somewhere. Come on, not all superiors conduct themselves in a manner becoming of good leadership. That's just reality. So what is a Christian worker to do in those situations? Paul anticipated that as well because he knew in his day there were some, there were some, some uh, masters who were jerks. And so here's what he said to those Christian slaves. He said, be subject to your masters with all fear. Listen, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. A froward boss would be a crooked, dishonest, harsh, unkind type of person. And I don't know who you have in mind right now, but you need to get it out of there. A froward supervisor or foreman is very likely to treat you badly. He or she could very likely blame you for something going wrong when them and you know it was their fault. Is that a living reality in 2019? Well, I did it like you told me to do it. They're still not going to take the fall for it. They're not going to take the blame because they're a jerk. So they're going to blame it on you. Yeah, preach, that's real. So what do I do? Well, here it is, 1 Peter 2.20. For what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. In other words, when you mess up and, you're, and they call you out for, for messing up and you just, you just take it and go on, there's, you don't need to be applauded for that. That's why you're supposed to do it. Amen. But if... When you do well and suffer for it, well, I'm just doing what he told me to do. I was being obedient. And you get called out for that, and you still take it patiently, that's when God's going to applaud. Because that is acceptable to God. Are, are, we, are we being real this morning? As a worker, Joseph didn't expect any special treatment. He was obedient. Here's something else. As a worker, Joseph had Pharaoh's best interest at heart. There came a time when the Egyptians didn't have any more money uh, to buy corn to eat. And so when they came to Joseph, 
He said, well, we'll do this, then sell me your cattle, and I'll give you food in exchange. Well, that food didn't last long, and they were back the next year, and Joseph again uh, offered them this. He said, sell me your land. Or excuse me, they offered to sell Joseph their land and themselves. In other words, they said, listen, we'll give you all of our land. We'll even become servants of Pharaoh if you'll just give us and our family some food. Look at verse 23 real quick of Genesis chapter 47. I'm trying to hurry. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them of your households and, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we'll be Pharaoh's servants. Throughout the, you can read it. Throughout the entire history of Joseph, he has always had his master's best interest at heart, whether that was Potiphar or whether it was Pharaoh. Can I just tell you this morning, that's what good employees do. They do everything they can to make the owner's company as good as it can be. Sometimes they reap the benefits of that through bonuses and raises and such. But that's not always the case. Again, we're just being real. That's not always the case. And when it's not, you shouldn't tank. You should just keep trying to make the company the best it can be. Because in the end, remember, we've already read this a couple of times now, because at the end of the day, you're really working for God anyway. And he will make sure you're rewarded for what you do well. So those are some things about Joseph as a worker, and, and that will cover the majority of people in here today. But there also may be some people in here today who are in positions of leadership in the workplace. Maybe you're a manager, a supervisor, uh, whatever. Maybe an employer, whatever. So let me, let me touch on a couple of things that will be done this morning. Let's look at Joseph now, not as a worker, but as a leader. Look what the Bible says in, in, in verses 13 through 15. As a leader, Joseph displayed integrity. Look at it, verse 13. Uh, and Joseph took them, uh, excuse me, let me get back to chapter 47. And there was no bread in all the land. We talked about this, for the famine is very sore. So the, the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan uh, for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house, verse 15, and when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, give us bread for, thy, uh, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. You realize that at this point in history, Joseph had these people's lives in his hands. And what a perfect opportunity to take advantage of the less fortunate. We need food. We're going to die. Do you know what kept Joseph from doing that? Because Joseph was a man of integrity. 
And he goes, Joseph knew that every morning he was going to wake up and he's going to have to stare himself in the face. And even more importantly, Joseph knew that one day he was going to look God in the face. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're in a, person, uh, a position of leadership, listen, be a man or woman of integrity. Learn how to treat those below you. Learn how to treat those who are less fortunate. Learn how to care for them. And then here, here's the final thing. As a leader, Joseph treated others respectfully. As much as the Bible has to say about workers and their conduct, and we've looked at a lot of that this morning. We did it quickly, but we looked at it. The Bible has a lot to say about, about workers and how they should conduct themselves. But listen, it has just as much to say about those who are in authority and how they should conduct themselves. For example, these, these, there's these words from Paul to the Corinthians, he said, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing, knowing that ye also have a master, capital M, speaking of God in heaven. And I love what John Phillips said about this, and I'll quote it to you this morning. The absolute impartiality of God is now revealed in a different way. If men have their tasks, masters have their trusts, their responsibilities under God. It is not a one-sided affair. The employer has a right to expect the best kind of work out of his men. A full day's work for a full day's pay. That's fair, right? Absolutely. But workers have a right to the best kind of welfare from their employers. They have a right to expect that they will be fairly and adequately paid, that their work conditions will be safe and hygienic, and that benevolence will be shown toward their general social welfare. That's good. As a worker, we're to be this, but as a leader, we're to be something else. Our, listen, we shouldn't expect any more out of those who work for us than they should expect from us as their employers. Ephesians 6, 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, look at this, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there any respect of persons with him. If an employer wants his or her employees to be diligent and promote the best interest of the company, then in turn, they must be diligent and promote the welfare of the employee. Note the phrase, forbearing, threatening. There is a legitimate use of power. All right, if you're a boss, your employer, I'm looking at some of you, you're, you're, you've been in those positions or you, or you are in those positions, and you have power, and you have authority, and that has been granted you. 
and there is a legitimate use of that. If, if an employee uh, needs to be punished or dismissed, then that is within your power to do that. And that's biblical, and that's right, and that's fair. But here, here's what Paul is saying. There's no room for bullying or browbeating on the part of a leader who also claims to be a Christ follower. Translated, don't be a jerk. Amen. Power has a tendency to erode character. Lord Acton said it well when he said, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Those in power need to watch themselves and be careful not to abuse their power. Giving orders to people feeds the ego and inflates pride. Power intoxicates and calls for more until people with power begin to want power for power's sake. Leaders lead well. That's the biblical principle. Just lead well. Be kind, be benevolent, be understanding. Simply put, lead like Jesus. Here's one closing thought for both employers and employees from Luke 6.31. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? So whether you sit here this morning as an employer or an employee, whether you're a leader or a subordinate, let me ask you this morning, based on the Bible, how are you doing? Are you working hard? Are you leading well? Are you honoring God in all that you say and do? Most importantly, are you pointing others to Christ in your conduct on the job? Because I hope you can see from the scriptures this morning that all of that matters to God. And church, the truth is, it ought to matter to us as God's people. Let's pray.